call it. Call it, yes. For what? Just call it. Welcome to episode 20 of Call It Friendo, the podcast where two friends watch two films decided by the flip of a coin. This week, myself, Andy J. Ritchie, and my co-host, Donna Tiernan, watch two films from French director Jacques Audiard, 2015's Deepan and 2012's Rust and Bone. As always, this podcast contains spoilers for both films right from the start. Check out JustWatch.com for streaming and rental options in your region. Baby, you're a firework. Have you been watching anything exciting since we last spoke? Um, I have watched a bunch of stuff, actually. I finished. Yeah, I see on your Instagram. I guess you should plug your your Instagram so people can listen to you talk about these things. You can find me as Money Wales, like uh, because, you know, it's a fun. It's two Clint Eastwood characters, isn't it? William Money and Josie Wales. That is correct. Uh, yeah, and I just uh, watch films and then talk about them uh, very personally. Actually, just last night I watched um, Promising Young Woman. Have you heard of this film? Mm, no, I have not. Uh, well, it's a very full-on direct look into the subject of, I don't know, um, rape, essentially, and uh, rapiness and kind of uh, lad culture on campuses and shit like that. Set in um, the US. And it's like glib and set in the US, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's quite funny in parts too, and Bo Burnham is there and he's oh, being charming, it. but um, ultimately ultimately, it's like, it is it is dark and, and fairly full on. Is this on um, a streaming service? I, yeah, it goes to, um, I, <laughs> yes. How did, how did you watch it, eh? Hey? <laughs> Is this one? Did you get I this one from the Blockbuster? Yes, I got this one from Blockbuster. I rented. I it sent off to Netflix. No, I think uh, they sent me the DVD by mail. Exactly. That's how Netflix began, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Isn't it? It is. Yeah, and Blockbuster had the opportunity to purchase mm. them, but chose not to. Silly old sausages. Yeah. You know. Uh, yeah, been watching that. So yeah, finished off Bosch. Just started season four of The Shield. There just this morning now for the first um, time, and I forgot. Um, no, no, I, was, I saw this sh- all the sh- all the shield years yeah. ago, yeah. but clearly, and I normally remember things very well, but um, I had not uh, recalled at all that Glenn Close was in it, and mm-hmm. I remember, oh it's, yeah, it's I love this Close. character. She's, then, she's great in it, and then Forrest Whitaker after. Uh, I remembered him, but I just I like even on the first episode, it's like um, Glenn Close her is, her character kind of flips the dyna- the dynamic of the show almost instantly. Um, which I thought was just really good. The Shield was like, I mean, way ahead of, not way ahead of its time, I suppose, but it was certainly a, a, a much higher cut above your standard cop show that was that was airing at the time. Although, no, I suppose it was against the wire, though the wire wouldn't really be a cop show. So to it speak. was on Whatever. FX, wasn't the it? Shield the Shield is good. It wasn't. It wasn't uh, network television. Uh, yeah. It was just kind of like basic cable. And it's it's really good. I gotta say, um, Great big show. fan of it. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, loads of stuff I've been watching. Ah, but sure, you don't need to hear about all of that. Most recently, I watched uh, Conor McGregor lose to Dustin Poirier spectacularly in Abu Dhabi. Mm, so that's so you just so you know when we're recording. Considering this episode is going to be out tomorrow, <laughs> we're recording the <laughs> a few hours after the uh, Conor McGregor fight. And uh, what have you been watching? 
Well, last night I saw Hustlers. Oh, the Jennifer Lopez? Yeah, Jennifer Lopez looking like Thing? she's wearing another lady's skin. <laughs> to be fair to her, I mean, she's 50. <laughs> Why do you, yeah, yeah, yeah. What did you think of Hustlers? I did not think it was very good. It's kind of like Lady Stripper Goodfellas. But bad. It's nowhere near as good as everybody was going on about. No, I was, it's very I was poorly underwhelmed made. by it myself. And also tonally, it's it all over the place. It got five star reviews across the board. It does well, have a yeah, lot of strong female thing, characters. Like, it does, but also it heavily features as a heroin device the drugging of men and robbing them. I and it's like, yeah, but it's that. okay because they're bankers. I agree. I think it's no? the correct course of action. For bankers, because you know mm. how bankers are bad. They are. Their society is uh, great evil. Yeah, it got uh, loads of um, plaudits as well for shooting from a female gaze as opposed to a male gaze. You can read that in all the reviews. Really? Because it had a. It was just People mostly. Were pleased about that. It was just mostly ladies dancing with their boobies out. Yes, but the lady, the camera had a lady gaze. Okay, well I have no. Uh, problem. Which I kind, I kind of, I kind of get. I kind of get, you know, okay, so if you take Hustlers as a lady gaze and then imagine how Hustlers would have looked had it been shot by Michael Bay. Okay, yes, there were should have been more explosions. And fairly leery. I always find uh, Michael Bay is quite leery about ladies. What did, Leering was this, at the ladies. Was it Hustlers has a, has a female director, does it? Um, I'm, I'm actually not sure. Uh, I'm gonna if only there was some way to find that out. Yeah, Lorraine uh, in, um, the, Spa- the Spanish title of it was Strippers of Wall Street. Mm. <laughs> in, in typically nuanced style, Strippers mm. of Wall Street. Yeah, I wasn't Yard. a massive fan, uh, but, uh, you know, fair play. And what else besides? Uh, last Oh, last week I watched uh, uh, Palm Springs. Oh, that's great, isn't it? I really enjoyed it. I thought it was great. I thought it was a, a, a nice modern spin on the Groundhog Day formula. I thought it was really it's a it's if you haven't seen it i would record to, to anyone listening to this if you haven't seen it i would definitely recommend mm. watching it. i think it's on amazon uh streaming and, it is uh, yeah oh, it's, it's basically groundhog day but you're joining in with someone who's already in the time loop which is why i think it works so well uh yeah and well two people who are already in the time loop my favorite right. thing about it was jk simmons's character <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah it's funny i just thought that was a hilarious inclusion um yeah. in the whole thing and it, it, like yeah there was little things i quite liked in it the way how she uh studied her way out of her situation essentially that was just interesting you know yeah. every day going to a, a, like a cafe and studying quantum physics Oh, sorry about that there, guys. Best okay, film I saw this week was actually probably The 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 Witch. I, I still haven't I've seen, seen it that. a bunch of times before. I really oh, want to. Fantastic. I do want to watch it. I Maybe I'll watch it, it tonight. Uh, the Witch is absolutely terrific, though. Um, just any grand subversion of a genre that succeeds, I'm a big fan of. And... Um, I like. I think a few people have done this in the last few years, like it's particularly in the horror genre, trying to kind of almost Nolanize horror in a weird way. Uh, Ari Aster has done it, and uh, um, the lady who directed Saint Maud recently managed it as well. But The Witch is just like they hide nothing from you in it. This is, isn't a spoiler to say a baby gets kidnapped and it's a witch, and they don't like they don't mince about. There's no mystery, you know, witch trials. Mm. Is Anya Taylor Joy a witch? No. You see a baby disappear, and then you see a witch going through the woods and bathing in the baby's blood. Nice. Like it's just yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't That's call it the witch, film. though. I, I call it the witch. 
the Vivich. Yeah, so mm. does Mark Kermode. Jay, I think that's how it should be called. The um, yeah, uh, and all the plaudits got sent the way of um, Robert Eggers' second film, The Lighthouse, which is good, but in my opinion, it's it's got nothing on The Witch. I still haven't watched The Lighthouse because it just looks like hard work. Two characters oh, it's shouting I mean, it's quite other. funny. Uh, I just, this is the most boring um, movie criticism ever, but it could it could lose 20 minutes. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> it could how like, long is also it, like in the last couple of weeks i've been i i rem, as i remember it's about two hours uh, if it isn't two hours then it's still too long in my opinion because it does keep you interested but it's so aimless and complete aimlessness can only take you so far you know so it is yeah 109 minutes almost two hours mm. um which yeah would have been a slight slightly too long for me like this week yeah. I, i've also watched a couple of uh, Sam Fuller films and Sam Fuller was like he was making them in the 1950s like of his first five films they're all 80 minutes nice. <laughs> this is just like wonderful it's probably yeah, it hard to, to get older hold films of just film being longer, but yeah this is it yeah it was yeah it was quite expensive like John, one of the reasons John Ford was such a prolific filmmaker was he was famous for editing in camera which was quite an economic way to do it nothing would end up in the cutting room floor you know what I mean he had a mm-hmm. sort of a director's eye with kind of confidence in what he'd shot. And he'd be like, no, we haven't. No need to do it again. Save the film. And like would barely snip anything. Mm-hmm. So you got introduced to Jacques Audiard this week. Yeah, this was my first time. I'm a fan. Which of his say. films had you seen previously? First of all, I saw A Prophet. I've seen that twice, I think. Um, yeah. A few, and then a few years ago, I watched... Um, the beat that my heart skipped, which is probably my favorite of his films. Uh, want to see the sister's brother in the cinema, and now just recently uh, these two, Deepan and Rust and Bone, which I had been meaning to watch for ages. Um, the beat that my heart skipped, even after these two, is still um, probably my favorite. Um, only by look looking him up uh, for the purpose of this podcast did I realize that this guy's been directing. Uh, this guy's been a presence since the mid 70s actually yeah i was um, surprised to find out that he's, six, he's 68 or 69 years old now because mm. he appears I to thought have he would be younger uh, burst on the scene mm. relatively recently but uh yeah i <laughs> one thing that like of all of his films particularly the second that we watched this week uh rust and bone um he is a great example of this, but all of his films really are great examples of why people find French films irritating. Um, <laughs> well, we have I can to talk, talk about like, that. I like That's him. interesting. Yeah. 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 Cause I like him, I li- and I like the film, both the films this week, but uh, yeah. What was your overall, uh, anyway. what was your overall take on both films? Like in enjoyment wise? Uh, I really enjoyed both of them. I was really engaged in both of them. And which um, order did you watch them in also? Yeah, well, the regular order that you would watch them in. Normally yeah. I would w- like to watch things chronologically, but I said, I'm sure, whatever. So I watched Deep Anne first and then Rust and Bone. I liked both of the films, but I would say that Deep Anne, when I watched it, I thought was excellent. It kind of blew me away. I really like Rust and Bone, but I have some problems with it, <laughs> with some of the characters mm. and choices. But overall, I really, oh, really loved Deep that. Anne. Yeah, yeah, Deep End was great. I, um, think, it's, uh, just, I, think, uh, I think it's an excellent will... film. Sure, let's get into it right off the bat, so. Yeah, so Deep End is a 2015 French crime drama co-written and directed by Jacques Audiard. 
It tells the story of three Tamils who escape a refugee camp in Sri Lanka by posing as a family and end up relocated in a rough French housing estate controlled by a local drug kingpin. Uh, the film came about when... Odiard- How much do you know about the conflict they're escaping? I went on a massive Wikipedia binge after watching the film, so I would say I wouldn't say I'm an expert on the Sri Lankan civil war, but I would say I now know a reasonable amount about it. <laughs> Drop some knowledge, please. Well, wait until we get well, until we come to some of those details later on, and I'll I'll go into okay, a bit okay, about some of that. So yeah, so the film came about when Odiard decided he wanted to to do a remake of Sam Peckinpah's Straw Dogs, but with non francophone immigrants in France. Uh, given France's colonial history, that ruled out a lot of countries, including most of Africa. So he finally settled on using Sri Lanka and the LTTE, or the Liberation Tigers of Tamil Elam, more commonly known as the Tamil Tigers. Uh, to accomplish this task, Odiard found Jesuthasan Antonithasan. <laughs> Sri Lankan names are insane. Uh, who stars as the titular Deepan. Jasuthasan joined the, the Tamil Tigers at age 15 after Black July and went through a few years of training before becoming disillusioned and leaving in 1986. In, wow. 19, in 1989, he escaped Sri Lanka to Hong Kong and later Thailand uh, before being offered political asylum in France. In August 1990, 23 of his relatives were among a group rounded up by the Sri Lankan army before being killed and their bodies thrown into a well. Good God. So Must he's be a got skin in the well. game, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> to fit 23, at least 23. I mean, it was more than 23. Just 23 of them were his relatives. I'd say it's not a well anymore. I'd say it's just a yeah. hole with... A hole with <laughs> well, I mean, nobody's I didn't want to get bogged well. down in that, in that key point. And I'm sorry, oh, Jasuthasan, Anthony Thasan. Bogged yeah. down, rough. Well, well, well. Uh, Jasuthasan had various low-paid jobs in Paris including stacking shelves in supermarkets, cooking, dishwashing, street sweeping, carrying boxes, construction work, and probably the darkest of all, working as a bellhop at Euro Disney. Nice. Uh, later, later, he joined a revolutionary communist organization and campaigned against the Sri Lankan civil war. In the late 90s, he started publishing his writing about being a child soldier and produced a number of novels. In 2011, he wrote and starred in a film called Sengadal about Tamil fishermen. And uh, this finally led to him being cast in the role of Deepan. Mm. He's not credited as a writer on the film, but he did comment that around 50% of the content was autobiographical. Wow. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's not completely surprising, um, but yeah, I suppose it really, really adds weight to it. Um, Reminds me of the story of um, the star of that uh, Fassbender film, Fear Eats the Soul, which was about... uh, Turkish immigrant in Berlin in the 70s who's mm. suffering, who gets into a relationship with an older lady and suffers stomach ulcers because of the stress of being an immigrant. And this is actually something that was like currently happening to its its main star. You know, yeah. he was also yeah. gay and uh, kind of hated himself for that, drank himself to death in Algiers, I think. Not a fun story. No. Let's, let's carry on. Okay. Well, here's, I'll give you some information about the Sri Lankan civil war then. Go for it. So the civil war lasted 26 years from 1983 to 2009 when the Sri Lankan military finally defeated the Tamil Tigers. Uh, There was just unbelievable brutality from both sides of the conflict, in particular what happened in July 1983, also known as Black July. This was when Jasuthasan 
joined the, the Tamil Tigers after these events. Here's one extract of what happened. So while traveling on a bus when a mob laid siege to it, passengers watched as a small boy was hacked to limbless death. The bus driver was offered to give up a Tamil. He pointed out a woman who was desperately trying to erase a mark on her forehead called a kumkum as the thugs bore down on her, which sounds very similar to the Ansondi bus scene, actually. Uh, mm. The woman's belly was ripped open with a broken bottle and she was immolated as people clapped and danced. In another Good incident... God. Oh, it gets a lot worse. In another incident, two sisters, 118 and 111, were decapitated and raped. The latter until there was nothing left to violate and no volunteers could come forward, after which she was burned. While all this was going on, a line of Buddhist monks appeared, arms flailing, their voices raised in a delirium of exhortation, summoning the Sinhalese to put all Tamils to death. Wow. Okay. These are just these are just what? these are just random stories of this of what was happening at the start of the civil war. And what's the origins of this conflict? So on the northern part of Sri Lanka and on the northeast and northwest are areas that were populated by Tamils. Also, Tamils live in the southeastern province of India. And basically, so are they an, et an ethnic uh, group? I believe so. Or they're they're, they're okay. a, separate, a separate ethnic group. The other, the large group in Sri Lanka that's around maybe 85% is uh, Sinhalese. And they're the Sri mm. Lankan government, military, etc. So it's just a case of the minority being forced out, but just oof, <laughs> absolute brutality from both sides. Mm. And wow. in, term, in, terms of what the, in terms of what the Tamil Tigers used to do, the, the reason why uh, Jasuth Thasan, Anthony Thasan, why he joined was, I mean, they used to just go to families in towns and say, hey, we're taking your kid. Your kid is joining the Tamil Tigers. So there, well, there wasn't a lot of choice going on. So that's why they, they were famed for using child soldiers and also child, child and female suicide bombers. There's a greengrocer in my neighborhood who's in the Tamil Tigers. Nice. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Uh, I like during, I, I got to know him a little bit during uh, the, the lockdown um, mm -hmm. this, last March, just because it would have been one of my few stop offs. And, you know, I'm the big ginger guy in the neighborhood, so I'm slightly more memorable. And he had a big ass um, tattoo of a tiger on his hand. Nice. And I knew of the Tamil Tigers and my curiosity was piqued. So I asked him about his tattoo. I like me trying to be coy. I didn't want to ask, were you in the Tamil Tigers? But then he just mm -hmm. came out and said it and said it. Yeah, yeah, I was. I was in the Tamil Tigers when I was a kid. Um, and I got out of it and moved over here when I was like in my mid 20s. Well, so I wonder there. if he runs into former guys similar to what happens in this film. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it'd be like. And the thing is, this guy is, and this guy is a, an Indian-looking fella with a big tattoo of a tiger on his hand. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. So I'm sure he has. I'm sure he has no <laughs> no bones about running into people. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. you'd often see lads in Ireland uh, who would have been in I don't know racist gangs in the 70s, and they have what appear to be window tattoos on their arms. Which mm. are covered over swastikas, basically. Ah, right. yeah, you know yeah, what I mean. Yeah. So there is a way to cut off your former gang affiliations, to be honest. But uh, what if, this what guy's if you're got just no really into what if you're just really into glazing or something? Uh, yeah, I mean, that, just a fan I'm of sure windows. Those guys get confused all the time. 
And it's a re- that would be a, a real pity because invariably lads who were formerly in racist gangs in Ireland have ended up on building sites nowadays. So I'm sure they will run into the, the Glazers Union frequently. Mm. That'd be but a then fun they'd be series like, of no, brawls, but that's fine. But then they would be like, look, I have a window tattoo. So it's okay. This would, this is, well, I mean, but I'm sure the, I'm sure the window union guys know. <laughs> hey, the, you're the not difference. a real window I, sure guy. They, exactly. This, this is forming into, this is like the, the Irish version of Deepan. Imagine a mm. conflict taking place. A window Between a window former Nazis. racist who's, who's, and one of the guys used to be a Nazi, but he is, has actually over the years rehabilitated himself and become a window enthusiast, but the window <laughs> enthusiast won't accept him. Yeah, he, he was. He, he was. It. Yeah, he's caught in the middle. He's he doesn't want to be a Nazi. He can't. He's not accepted by the window union. Yeah, it's it's a tough place to be, and so he ends up working. And he's not accepted. Uh, he by ends the up Nazis. working as a bellhop at uh, Irish Disney. Irish uh, Disney is a theme park known as Tato Land, dedicated to our most popular type of potato crisp. I am not making that up. Okay, I'll I'll add that to the to the show notes. Uh, although not a financial Please. success, the film did win the Palm d'Or at the 2015 Cannes Film Festival, beating out the likes of The Lobster and Sicario. That's right. Um, I, I, uh, it was a surprise win, as I remember that year. Uh, just from reading, I remember people, people being surprised basically mm-hmm. with it, and some people were say were crediting it with um, the fact that he really should have won the year a profit came out apparently but that was what was floating in the air at the time that's another i still haven't seen a profit well these are the only two jacques audiard films i've seen but on the strength of these i would be willing to watch all of his filmography do get around to it okay so moving into the plot the film starts in sri lanka with our main character whose real name is sivad hassan helping to place a number of fallen soldiers into onto a funeral pyre we see him changing out of his uniform and into some civilian clothes as the fire burns their bodies. The fire rises. Uh, do we ever find out his rank? He appears to have been rank, like ranked. I mean, he was in charge he's like of, leading of, of a unit, division, yeah. you know? Yeah, he seemed pretty high up yeah, in yeah, the Tamil yeah, yeah, Tigers. Yeah. A unit, so. rather. Yeah, and we get a good idea of that yeah, particularly when confronted later on. Yeah, he's a yeah. madman. Uh, yeah, I don't know about you, but like I was a hundred percent in straight away directly to wherever the film was going. Just this, this imagery, it's so stark that like you see the color and life of Sri Lanka and, but mm. with the, with the horrible darkness of them <laughs> just putting bodies onto a pyre and then you just, you see well, it, you see the skull burning in the fire. Yeah. This, this kind of thing wins me over straight away. Mm-hmm. Uh, generally so no, no, no messing of bodies necessarily uh just like the i mean when you use your real locations correctly mm-hmm. you're ba- they're basically taking me on a trip to places i will never go in my life do you yeah. know what i mean and that that gives me a buzz straight away um and moving on even to when they get even when they get to france where i've been, I've been several times it's a side of that that i am not familiar with nor will ever be you know yeah, I'm not super familiar with that side of France, but I'm far more familiar with that from my time living in France than I've never been to Sri Lanka. Although this film did make me want to, right. this film equally made me want to go to Sri Lanka and never go to Sri Lanka. Hmm. What part made you want to go to Sri Lanka? The well, it looks trees? all nice and yeah, it looks all nice and colorful and warm and interesting and different. Mm. 
yeah, but then also like true. thirty years of death. Uh, uh, I don't know. Do I have a, Do I have any more trips to difficult countries in me? I'd like that, to think yeah. I do, but I don't know. Yeah, I have never really been anywhere that rough. Shout out Sri Lanka. My apologies. So, uh, cut to a Tamil refugee camp. We're introduced to the character played by Kaliaswari Srinivasan, who is walking around essentially looking for a kid with no parents, any kid. She eventually finds a young girl played by Claudine Vinasithambi. Yep, killing these names. And takes her over to a nearby Mm. hut. The three characters, the man, woman, and young girl, are given the documents of a dead family and are given the names Deepan, Yalini, and Ilayal before being loaded onto a boat to Europe. And uh, next we're in it's France. An interesting scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because at the start you're not really sure what's going on, but then because you see uh, the lady who becomes Yalini asking around trying to find a kid, and then it becomes clear that, oh, right, she just... They need a child to fill out this fake family so that they can escape. But then they're going to, they have no connection Mm. to this child. (laughs) So there's a slight concern that they're just going to be like, all right, once we get to France, fuck it. You're on your own, kid. Yeah. It kind of like, I mean, it, it, like, they just, everybody just looks so tired. Like, it's really well shot. Like, these Mm. people just want the F out of here as soon as possible, you know? Yep, refugee camp, not the best place in the world. Anyway, in France, uh, we get a sense of how this new family is living. Deepan is out at night selling the usual bric-a-brac tourist tat while being chased by the police and sleeps during the day. Very interesting, that scene. But one thing I I was hoping, I was hoping above hope that we would see just a little bit of footage showing where he gets all the knickknacks that he's selling. Because in every country in the world, when you see, like, (laughs) I don't know, people down on their luck, selling selfie sticks or some other such garbage, glowing key rings and things. I'm always just wondering, where does this like, stuff come is from? there just a warehouse somewhere like, like with, you know, the big issue that basically people down on their luck show up and they give them just a box of unsellable crap mm-hmm. and they just say, all right, get rid of all of this. And uh, <laughs> I suppose you can eat a meal or something, you know, but mm-hmm. uh, they, they don't, but it was interesting. It was really a uh, beautiful, um, introduction to his life in paris as well because you kind of see that he's wearing this like a glowing mini mouse thing on his head Mm. and it just kind of emerges from the darkness but Mm. like you know to be ridiculed essentially uh so yeah the three of them go to an interview with whoever is in charge of relocating refugees deepan claims he was a journalist and the interpreter who's tamil tells him to cut the shit uh, Deepan comes clean, and mm. the interpreter tells him to feed the interviewer a story about being captured by the tigers and held prisoner. Um, I really like the dynamic here because you know these people are in France, but yeah. the hierarchy of the Tamil tigers <laughs> is still important. Yeah, it ju- like it's just uh, I don't know a network existing like within within france that i mean you know is still untouched by that kind of bureaucracy that's interesting yeah yeah and and none of, like the french guy who's asking the questions has no fucking clue <laughs> he has no idea what's going on no no but that like i think this um this film uh kind of that's that's a a theme in it is these worlds existing right under our noses that we've no clue about you know mm-hmm like that, like that, because I mean, I don't know. I'm 
I'm just like that whenever I like wander around I'm always wondering people's stories and thinking thinking about it you know I don't go up and ask them because they'd probably try and sell me a selfie stick but I'm wondering like like you know where where do where do they live what's the what's their life like you know mm. um and I I I think that's something he goes like he goes away in this film to give a backstory to a character who would be traditionally faceless in our outlook you know not faceless um I don't know lifeless maybe is the mm. word i'm looking for whatever you know what i mean they, you, yeah, you, yeah. They're, ju- you don't, they're, you, they're just like background characters than, exactly in, exactly in, 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 other fil- in, in your life yeah exactly it, it reminded me to to put mm. it in barcelona terms it reminded me of ali the sexy samosa man <laughs> yeah there should be a film yeah about him. that is essentially who he is yeah, there's, there's, the there's, sexy yeah. if you're man, if yeah. you've never been to barcelona there's a man who walks around the streets going sexy samosa and it's exactly that because he just says the same. He's learned this phrase. I mean, he speaks English, but I wonder if he's a former Tamil tiger. Well, he has definitely seen the selling power of that phrase because you know what it, it is. Works. It's just people go. <laughs> he uh, says, he says "sexy samosa." I'm gonna, I'm gonna, but yeah, yeah, exactly. So it works for him. He probably gets home, uh, <laughs> puts on some jazz music, reads some Dostoevsky. I have. I do remember because I remember interacting with him many times while horribly drunk and being just a knob. And uh, I did get the sense once that there was a deep aggression <laughs> under the surface. Like, I wonder if he was I a former Tamil Tiger. Yeah, absolutely. But well, not surprised because drunken idiots. I mean, anyone yeah, who's doing yeah, these yeah, jobs, yeah, sure. like all anyone like that who's moved from their home country and now they just you know have to eat shit from it drunk idiots i like i i saw him one time with um some like yeah outside uh cuevas some uh dr- a bar in barcelona folks some drunk fellow with his arm around uh, ali selling his samosas and then my my eyes my eye line went from the samosas to the guy with his arm around then to ali's face and i just, yeah, I just suddenly realized anger. oh my god if i gave him <laughs> If I gave him 50 euros, then that's his night's money. And he would just pop this guy yeah. right in the schnoz. Like, right <laughs> just, you know what I mean? Yeah, indeed. Yeah. So the, the anyway. story the story that the, the new family gives to the interviewer obviously convinces him because the next thing we know, the family are on a train to their new house in a place called Le Pré, which appears to, to be a very rough housing estate in the suburbs of Paris. Yeah, it's like Fife. It's like five. There we go. Putting it into Scottish terms. That's interesting. Uh, yes. Mm. Very similar. Uh, it well, reminds this... me of the place where they live in Ratcatcher. Ratcatcher. There we go. So it's Glasgow, more accurately. Yep. It is French Glasgow. Oh. Le Glasgow. Uh, yeah, mm. I, it kind of reminded me. So they, they arrive at the place. We're introduced to the guy who seems to be in, in charge of, I don't know, in charge of the caretakers and things. A guy called Yusuf who shows them around, shows mm. them the house. The house is kind of falling apart. It's a bit of a shithole. The buildings have a Hamsterdam from the wire sense. There are guys on the <laughs> roof. They have like spotters on the... What are the guys doing on the roofs? Yeah, they're spotters. They're, they're spotters. Uh, hoppers, I believe they would call them in the wire. Right, and then you've got uh, annoying twats driving around on mopeds, just so we know we're in France. And uh, beyond that, people doing drug deals, hand-to-hands, I believe they're called, in front of the building. So after Deepan and the family arrive uh, at, their, at their new house, Deepan gets his new job as the caretaker 
of this uh, basically drug-infested housing estate, which doesn't seem like an ideal job because he can only go in and clean when they're not doing drug deals, and all the drug dealers seem unsurprisingly not that welcoming to an outsider uh, encroaching onto their turf. And beyond that, they have terrible language difficulties because none of them speak Spanish. The young girl, Ilayal, French. Is, is learning. Yeah, oops, yeah. <laughs> And that's a good point. In France, people speak French. Yeah, so the young girl, Ilial, uh, helps out a little bit with translations. Mm, yeah, her story is, um, is uh, moving and really well played, actually. Yeah, I think so, too. So when we get to nighttime, Deepan is, spends a, a, a quite a bit of time just standing at the window watching. We see uh, drug dealers all around the place, guys walking around with golf clubs. <laughs> mm not not looking like uh, the golfing types, though, unsurprisingly. No. Um, smashing lights. We've got more moped twats uh, driving around. And uh, I guess we have a sense that uh, Deepan is, is mm, a little concerned about what's happening. Although we get the... I mean, he's also like a soldier coming from a, an insane conflict. So he can definitely handle himself, as we find out later on. Yes. In spectacular fashion. Yeah, so then the next thing we've got is Ila Yal goes to school because it's time for her to be educated and go to the local school. But uh, unfortunately, she gets placed in the uh, in the special ed class, which uh, reminded me very much of this scene from The Simpsons. So what are you in for? I moved here from Canada and they think I'm slow, eh? <laughs> I fell off the jungle gym and when I woke up, I was in here. I start fires! And uh, upon entering the special ed class for about five seconds, she runs runs out crying to her parents. Understandable. Well, to not her parents, essentially. Yeah, to, exactly. To a couple of scammers taking advantage of the European Union. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's right. Indeed. Douglas uh, Murray would not be best pleased <laughs> with these. Uh, then we see Yalini uh, sorting mail making a few mistakes she's doing one of deepan's jobs for him sorting out all the mail for people who live in the buildings but she gets the names the wrong way round she uses the first names mm. instead of the surnames and then when she makes a mistake she seems very insecure in general yeah. she's she's unwilling to make any mistakes which is fair enough but her reaction tends to be that she flies into a fit of rage yeah, uh, yeah, I think she's kind of, I don't know, her back's against the wall a little bit as mm. a character. And um, yeah, she doesn't want to, uh, I don't know, give ground emotionally, really. Mm. She just wants to be stiff upper lip. I'm fine. And, you know, yeah. making mistakes with regards to people's names uh, does not really fit that hymn sheet. Also a tough situation. They're all dealing with the effect. They've all got PTSD, presumably. Essentially, yeah. Yeah. And she's she's a young woman. She's probably supposed to be in her sort of mid-twenties, and she wants to go to London, where her cousin is, and she wants to go out partying. She's not interested in being a mother. She just wants to enjoy her life or to have an uh, have an opportunity mm. at that. So yeah. then, and she, well, she does get some doobie smoked in a, in a wee while, doesn't she? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's coming up. So Yusuf uh, speaks to Deepan and Yelini, offers Yelini a job to look after a guy called Mr. Habib and offers to pay her 500 euros, which they think is a, they're like, oh my God, that's a massive amount of money. Yeah. Line of duty. Who? It's, it, well, you know, it's in, 
you know, in Line of Duty, when uh, I think it's in the first and the second season, where there's a character with Down syndrome and kind of uh, criminals use his apartment to you oh, know, yeah. store bodies and deal drugs out of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what it made me think of instantly. But Line is, of Duty. Coming back it, this year with Kelly, Kelly McDonald. Oh, nice. But is, 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 is that what's going on here? Because I wasn't sure if I feel, mm. you know, because the guy, the, the drug kingpin, whose name is Brahim, he's... Mr. Habib's son, I think, no? No, I don't no? think so. You don't I think, think so? You they think they're just using, using him? His, they're using his apartment um, mm. because, like mainly because he is, he appears to be an invalid. He yeah, what, really what, what appears Similar. to be the problem? They, he suffered a stroke or something? Or? A randomized, debilitating, Un, old-person thing, yeah. let's call it. Exactly. I'm not a physician. It's particularly not when, you know, examining patients that exist in a fictional <laughs> film. But anyway. You're, you're, you're going to be struck uh, off no, the I, register I feel... for refusing to <laughs> refusing to do your job. Uh, I Yeah, I feel that's what they're doing. They're taking advantage of the fact that he's an invalid. That's why the job to that's why the job pays so well to look mm. after him. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because yeah. it's also quiet money. Yeah, yeah, think. right, right. They need someone who's not going to say anything. So they're like, let's get this lady in. She's come from a, uh, well, I guess they don't know the, the extent. I, no one really knows anything about Sri Lanka in this story, nor myself, really, before watching it. <laughs> so <laughs> Ilayal has uh, problems at school. Some of the kids, well, all the other kids won't play with her. They refuse to let her join in, in skipping. So she goes uh, somewhat apeshit and beats up a young girl. Which again just feels like the some of the uh, dealing with the consequences of the conflict that she escaped and some of the PTSD. So I've seen I've seen that play out on numerous times in schoolyards. Mm-hmm. I have legitimately seen that. Um, there was because uh, I remember when I was going to primary school. My primary school would have been in let's say a, a lower income area. And uh, my mother was there, which is why a middle class child like me ended up going there. But uh, anyway, at the time, there was like just heaps of um, Kosovan refugees coming into Ireland. And a lot of them ended up going to that school. And no, they couldn't they couldn't really speak English. And so they were generally ostracized. And I saw mm-hmm. on more than one occasion just ostracized children just say, Do you know what? Fuck this. And just start lamping, you know, mm-hmm. and they ended up then going to like, you know, juvie hall or whatever the irish equivalent of it is but i just thought that was really played well played because i have i have seen that scene before because she, she's not that is not representative of her but she you know her words aren't working so she opts to speak with her fists so to speak well this the, the difference here is this girl <laughs> this girl wasn't so big she wasn't ostrich sized <laughs> stupidest <laughs> joke <laughs> stupidest joke i could think of <laughs> Oh, I uh, love that joke. That's an excellent joke. Thanks. So, any- <laughs> I'm going to use that any time I hear the word ostracized for the rest of my life. Yeah. And anybody who blames me can now refer back <laughs> yeah. to this podcast uh, because that episode. is that kind of that kind of dad joke is my bag. <laughs> just so you know. Yeah, you need to get. Let's ready continue. For I think the 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 next scene for me is a scene that I really liked and that made this film stronger. And the way that a similar thing is handled in Rust and Bone is one of the reasons why I didn't like it so much. So, and that mm-hmm. is that Yelini sees some of Ilial's poetry. Ilial reads the poetry and then is basically starts making fun of her surrogate mother. And Yelini 
gets extremely angry and has a kind of like you know why the fuck am I do I have to look after you type thing and it's a it's a it's it's mm. a horrible conflict it feels really unfair on the young girl but they in the next scene they immediately resolve the conflict and Yalini becomes likable because they sit down and have a conversation and the 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 young girl says you need to look like asks her you you have brothers or sisters right you need to treat me like you treated your your sister and they they immediately soften the character there's no there's no feeling of like oh mm. this this adult was acting in a in a horrible manner towards this towards this you know however old she is to eight eight year old kid Whereas I think the relationship in Rust and Bone between the father and son <laughs> it just doesn't have that. I don't feel that they resolve a lot of the, the shit that uh, uh, Ali is responsible for in Rust and Bone. But we'll get to that later. No, yeah, yeah, that's, that's fair. We'll get to that. Mm-hmm. And also I want to bring up, um, so with Yalini in Brahim's apartment, there's some like weird sexual tension going on, right? Yeah, but then again, I mean, did that's... you think that they were gonna they were gonna do the nasty? Possibly, that was definitely uh, possible on the cards because it's a right. So yeah, anyway, we'll get to that in a minute. So next night, there mm. are fireworks outside. Cars pull up. A guy gets out. It's Brahim, who has been released from prison, Avon Barksdale style from the wire. He's the the big drug kingpin, the boss of this. A housing estate. He's been released. He's living with Mr. Habib. So now Yalini, who's helping out Mr. Mr. Habib, looking after him, she's introduced to Brahim, and they bond a little, uh, a little when he asks her some questions. He gives her some cash, and also, as you mentioned before, she gets uh, to smoke a bit of a joint with him as well. And you get a sense that she would quite like. She's she's scared of him. But he offers the potential of money and of a slightly more exciting life. Mm. Among this, we've got scenes of Deepan becoming part of the neighborhood, doing maintenance work, fixing the lift, making inventions to help him in his job. Um, there's also a lot of sexual tension between Deepan and Yulini, which is uh, is finally broken when they, they, they have sex, which appears to be the first time since they've been together in France. Do you know who was rejected for the part of Yulini? I do not. Well, it's a famous Tamil lady, so there's only one that I know of. Is it the lady from Slumdog Millionaire? No, MIA, the rappery lady. Oh, really? She was yeah, up she, for that role. She, she got turned down, turned down for being too too good looking, which I think is a, a harsh burn on really? the actress that played Jolini. But accurate. Are you joking? Nope. Is that the... Really? Oh, yeah, because MIA to her, is quite good looking. I, I, according to her, that's what she said. MIA said that. Mm-hmm. MIA said she was rejected for being too good looking. Mm, I mean, it's fairly accurate. <laughs> I mean, it's the sort of, it's the sort of thing I, I I would make up, but it is fairly <laughs> accurate, I suppose as well. She's I was too good for this. Better role? looking than the la- the lady. Yeah. Well, they the ended up choosing. The yeah, yeah. They, they chose someone who'd never acted before. Kalias Kalias Aswari Srinivas words names. Yeah, well, she... I will say Yalini brings a bit of the a bit of the Maggie Gyllenhaal's to the role. You know what I mean? Mm. She grows okay. on you, like yeah. You certainly get why Deepan is. Just, <laughs> do, uh, 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 I don't know. Deepan is just. I, this is going to be vulgar what I'm about to say, but by the time mm. they uh, consummate their situation, 
Deepan, it looks like he is jonesing to bust a nut, you know? Yes, I feel like he's been going through a tough time. Poor old Deepan. Really and truly. Next, we see uh, a temple and picnic meeting uh, with other Tamils. Uh, it's clear that Deepan has feelings for Yelini after they slept together. He gives her some flowers that Ilyao gave to him, and she seems very happy. She seems to reciprocate uh, the emotions. Then the interpreter from the interview scene earlier turns up and takes Deepan to see Colonel Chiran, Ed Chiran, and uh, Deepan refuses to continue the fight to raise money for arms and gets beaten up. Which apparently mm. what, what used to happen is if anyone wanted to leave the Tamil Tigers, they got the shit kicked out of them in front of their entire unit or town uh, as like that's the lowest level of thing that would happen to you uh, punishment-wise if you wanted to leave. I'll take it, to be honest. Mm. I mean, I th I've heard of paramilitary groups doing much worse things for you wanting to leave, you know? I'm assuming this is supposed to be around I mean, 2009 they, mm. when the Civil War conflict ended because I, I feel like this is supposed to be in a position where it's over, but this colonel is refusing to accept it. Oh, uh, like that Japanese fellow in the Philippines in the 1970s. <laughs> yes, so this, this glass-eyed colonel is fighting in the jungles, but the jungles are a small apartment somewhere in Paris. Exactly. Uh, so Deepan, unsurprisingly, doesn't respond too well to having the shit kicked out of him by his, his former uh, commanding <laughs> officer. And he goes into a big PTSD spiral, drinking, having nightmares. Uh, he looks like he's having a tough time of it. Then he goes to buy singing. a necklace. What's that? Oh, yeah, a lot of singing, a lot of nice uh, kind of drunk singing uh, Tamil, Tamil rebel, rebel songs. Up the Tams. So after this, Deepan goes to buy a necklace for Yulini, uh, looking at a bunch of them. Uh, he seems to opt for something <laughs> that costs like thousands of euros. Or he's certainly looking at the, the ones that are like 5,000 euros. Yeah, where is he getting this cash from? I don't know. I assume I'm... Uh, just doing a great job as the uh, handyman, the maintenance man. Fair enough. It's just, yeah, it seems... Yeah, yeah, it seems uh, a bit um, steep for, you know, a refugee caretaker. I mean, maybe yeah. I'm judging. Sorry. Yeah, well, that's shocking. Uh, so basically, this is where the shit starts hitting the fan. Local drug enforcers come to the buildings. There's a nice scene where we see them leaving their houses or where they're based uh, and they're on their, their twatty mopeds. Uh, driving, so we see them driving, and then they arrive at the housing estate, and they just start shooting. And yeah, Yelini and Ilyal are outside and are caught near the crossfire, and barely escape. But it's it's very clear that uh, this is essentially a war zone. Some guys. Uh, mm. The the reason is that some guys came for Brahim to to kill him, but they are unsuccessful. And Brahim and, yeah. and, and and his guys catch one of the uh, would-be assassins and then pile him into the back of a car and take him away for execution somewhere. Yeah, and at this point, Yalini is basically like, "Fuck this, I'm out." Yeah. So this you is know? when yeah. So this is when Yalini tries to run away. Deepan stops her at the station and gets a bit physical. Uh, they go back together and. The drug kingpin Brahim and his guys have set up a bit of a, 
a kind of uh, border zone, a checkpoint to stop people entering the, into the into the housing estate. So when one of the, the guys wants to search Yelini's bag or search her body, Deepan gets a bit angry and gets into a scuffle, which uh, results in a, a few guys saying like, I'm going to fucking kill you. Yeah, but crucially, I suppose... Um members of Brahim's gang, whoever they are, say, hey, that's the caretaker and kind yeah. of dress down the boys who are searching her. Yeah, there's a there's a couple of people who are like, hey, he's, leave him alone, he's a caretaker, he's a good guy. He's a good guy. So next, uh, Deepan gets out his wheelbarrow and fills it with sand and he draws a line in the sand. Well, he draws a line with sand in the concrete uh, and then he tells Indeed, them, no yeah. shooting, no shooting on this side of the line. Uh, a kid drops. This is really his, um, his, uh, the the principal from Mean Girls moment. You know, I did not leave the West Side for this. Uh, mm. That that's what he's really communicating there. He's like, I did not come all the way from Tamil. Is that where it is? Wow. Um, yeah, Tam Tam Tamil to, uh, to yeah, yeah, to be putting up with your bullshit. Um. So I I think this is kind of when. The, film sort of emerges as like yeah. this is this is what i'm the first example of what i would mean of people finding french films annoying because uh, you're you're just kind of going oh i get it it's a poet it's poetry it's this is him dealing with his ptsd by confronting mm-hmm. his violent past but in mm-hmm. this time protecting something that he cares about rather than something that he's forced into so uh then uh, a kid drops a cinder block down off the off the roof to try and get him to try and smash Deepan. Deepan manages to get up on the top of the building, tackles the kid and throws him over the line of the sand and throws him back onto the shooting side and makes it very clear, like, do not fuck with me. Uh, Yelini quits her job looking after uh, Mr. Habib, but she does agree to go back one time to see Brahim. Brahim says sorry for the things that happened to Deepan, but makes it very clear that if Deepan keeps fucking around, that Brahim is going to kill him. Later on, Deepan gives Yelini her passport back and basically says goodbye to her. It seems almost suicidal. Yelini is next back Mm. at Mr. Habib's with Brahim. Uh, The doorbell rings and the shooting starts. Mr. Habib is gunned down and Brahim is seriously wounded. Uh, When Yelini goes to kind of check on Brahim and and to, to leave the building, Brahim holds a gun to her head and forces her to call Deepan. And then we're into the final section, and this is what it's all about. This is Deepan at his best. And yeah. Really nicely shot as well. All very, a lot of close ups. Yeah. What very did, close into Deepan, music going, the smoke. Yeah. What did you think about the, the way they shot it? I mean, because this is clearly, you know, I mean, given the tone and what movies you regularly watch, you're or you, as in everybody, you're generally expecting this to be presented in a different way with a different type of film grammar, but it's much more chaotic and much more personal, which I really mm. liked. I thought like I was watching it um, with I was watching it with my girlfriend, and we're like we're we're there watching it, going, "What exactly is he doing?" Because it's just like you know what I mean. We're we're not t- former Tamil Tigers. We don't it's understand the suicide. language of just general like. Is how it appears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're well, looking I mean, at it like, oh, he's just—he's gonna—he's—he's he's got no chance. Yeah, well, but th- this is the thing—he just approaches it in a really chaotic manner. That these like wannabe 
yeah. uh, gangsters are just not used to it. They just they, they just get they have they have they have surface level violence uh, to con- uh, to to present yeah. with, but he's got it deep inside. <laughs> like that's why he doesn't he basically throw a Molotov cocktail in the back of his own car yeah. while he's driving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He and then he drives it into the building. I mean, the first thing we see him do, he picks up his. <laughs> machete and his like little ice pick and he creeps up on the first guy <laughs> He's kind of, oh, he yeah. does like the creep step type thing walking up to him and slashes him while the guy's trying to get a shot off but it's it's too late he's been macheted to death and it's just yeah you're talking about like a different level of guy this he's a ta- he's a tamil tiger who, who was in charge of a unit and has hacked people to death with machetes in the past and doesn't look that bothered like he's so comfortable mm-hmm. <laughs> killing. It's just a different level, but it's presented. It's not presented like like uh, John Wick or something. It's presented no. as like a guy with PTSD who has uh, a, a massive amount of experience murdering the enemy. Mm. And so, yeah, yeah, exactly. So he drives his car into the building. Well, there's 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 one point where he's driving where a shot rings out and it. it kind of uh it looks like he's been shot in the head but he seems to be fine yes. i don't know if it just dings the side of him or grazes him or something but the uh you really feel it because the, with the the sound effect and the shaking of the camera you really get a sense of the just of of that of mm. that shot striking um so yeah he drives in he drives the car into the building it's on fire which means smoke is billowing up through the building as he makes his way up floor by floor just basically stabbing and macheteing people um and when they get to the top brahim is dead yay and basically so is everyone else in the building except for yelini mm. uh and then that's it and then we're we're we're, we're to the epilogue and the family yeah. are in the uk we see Deepan is alive, and he is driving a taxi in a in a a, a pre Brexit United Kingdom. Uh, yeah, hopefully. the United Kingdom looks positively. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I say utopian almost, but no, that's not quite it. Uh, agrarian. It just looks like a paradise in that. It does. That, uh, they... The opening <laughs> shot of the epilogue, and you see the you see the London taxi in the distance. You're yeah. like, ah, oh, England. That's it. He they they're like he escaped to the UK where there is no violence. There's never been any war. <laughs> People treat everyone with respect, and everyone lives a joyous middle class existence. So we see them having well, a nice start, little garden party, and they have a new baby. Yelini has a baby, and it's all happily, all happy, all happy. They're happy. Well, I mean, it's it it's it. much. It's certainly much more optimistic than the end of uh, the film which inspired this, Straw Dogs. Have you seen Straw mm, Dogs? I have. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just at the end when uh, uh, Dustin Hoffman, I don't know, it's, uh, it's just drives into the fog. You know, like as in, you know, it's visual and metaphorical and poetic fog. He's like, I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do with my life after murdering all those people. But uh, for Deepan, it's just water under the bridge, baby. Let's let's get to the tea and crumpets. I was so happy that this had a happy ending. About maybe yes. halfway through, I was like, oh, for fuck's sake, please let these three characters be okay at the end. I don't want to see any of them. They're already coming. They came from a refugee camp from, like, uh, as we've mentioned, a brutal conflict. Please don't have them. Please don't make it sad. But luckily they made have it. Have you British. found 
Have you found that your appetite for sad, depressing yes. endings has gone through the floor over yes. the, the last few absolutely. years? Absolutely. Yes, I have something no... about the thirties, man. I used to love it. Absolutely. I used to love like the kind of requiem for a dream, you know, ultra, ultra depressing. There's nothing positive to, to, uh, savor for at the end of a, at the end of a film. Mm. But yeah, these days I don't want to go for the full on schmaltz, but I would rather that things worked out well. If it depends if I like the characters or not, obviously if I care about the characters, I want them to be all right. It's like the Danny Boyle who directed Trainspotting in the 1990s could never have given uh, could never have done train spotting two in the way it is done because he turned into an old man as well and he's like no I, I, I want spud to be happy in the end you know <laughs> and it's like yeah, yeah it, it's much the same like with these like i the amount of times i'll be watching a film and i'll turn to my girlfriend and just say i just i really need a happy ending for this yeah. please give me a happy ending you know I really like Odiard's uh, <laughs> filmmaking style. Though. It reminded me a little of Asgar mm. Far- Fargadi's uh, shooting style in uh, Separation, like a lot of close handheld action, really, really putting you into the lives of the characters. It's extremely yeah. immersive. And uh, I wish I'd watched these both in the cinema when I had the chance. The settings feel um, so lived in as well. Mm. You know, these are not, these are not studio lots. Like even in the, film we're about to talk about now even in rust and bone there's a part where you're in a gym and you, you it looks sweaty like i don't know yeah, it's just everything yeah, is so lived really, in really feel you're there. the big the biggest difference for yeah, me, yeah, well yeah. i think uh, audiard is really good at using music cues yes actually a um, lot the, the, he really oh, most, you... most of the music i'm like oh i really like that <laughs> or it's it's stuff yeah. that i already I, know Tell me that you didn't root for a character in Rust and Bone based off the back of Katy Perry's Firework. Yep, absolutely. I'm a, I'm a massive fan of yeah. that song. It's a classic. It totally, totally works in the in the movie. Uh, okay, so let's move on to up. Rusty Rusty Boners. We, Rusty, Rusty Boners, Boners Backy's Babes, Volume One. It's a classic. Check out Rusty Oy, Boners, Backy's Babes. Yes, I, I, Rusty Boners, Backy's Babes. I will do. It's I will classic. check that out. Uh, I was, as a matter of fact, I was going to suggest it for this week's coin toss, but now that we've talked about it, it's off the table. Oh, damn. Okay, so three weeks before three weeks three three He's years a very before prolific he collected filmmaker. his filmmaker. Yeah, <laughs> for uh, for Deepan, um, Jacques Audiard very much competed again for the first time. It would have been a big combat. I don't know, a big uh, rebound arrival to the Cannes Film Festival for him because his not winning for a profit was seen by many as a bit of an upset because, I mean, you'll get around to a profit and it is just a slam dunk of a movie. It's absolutely outstanding. Um, So he came back with what, yeah, like much more so than Deepan with this romantic drama film, it's fair to say, but romantic drama French film. And it just, it does epitomize everything that uh, the critic as voiced by john lovitz expresses oh, when yeah. he says i like french films boring pretentious french films um i don't think it's boring or pretentious but what people are annoyed about with french films exists massively in rust and bone um in just um the like uh, real realist poeticism of the of the story and how it works out which i'll get into right this second so it is based on a collection of short stories by uh by craig david son, son. Craig, craig by david, craig david's son, son. 
Yes, by Craig David's son, um, mm-hmm. which, I mean, they would have never got published had it not been for the uh, seven days money mm-hmm. that gave him a bit of industry clout and he managed to publish a short story collection called Rust and Bone. What do you think the title refers to? Well, that's the title, the title Rust and Bone, to. or do you think... Do, it, or does it refer to nothing? It like refers to the short, but, but it, it's, it's, it's a short. Do you mean, I haven't read the short story collection. I think you need to. I mean, Rust and Bone is this. The short story is about a thirty-seven-year-old Chicano boxer raised in a U.S. border town, uh, recounting the life that led him towards boxing. Because I mean, it's all set. Huh. The, the, okay. the the author Craig uh, Craig Davidson is from Canada. Craig David's son is from Canada. Yeah, Craig, Craig, Craig David is English, but Craig David's son is Canadian. And also maybe older than Craig David, which is confusing that his son is older. But This is a worse joke. Than, no, uh... no, 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 keep it. But, but on, on, the, okay. on the topic of this, I think one of the issues of this film possibly could be that they took a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight eight short stories they took two of them and melded them together and moved them to france and it does feel a little disjointed at times to put these two things together we've got one short story about a boxer uh kind of a struggling boxer and then the other Mm. one about an orca trainer who sustains a life-threatening injury i mean it you see but that like this is what i kind of mean with um this realist poeticism it's a similar it's a very similar thing he does with um the beat that my heart skipped, which is about a guy who loses himself after his mother dies, his mother having been a professional piano player and then finds himself again by running into his mother's old piano teacher and learning piano himself, essentially. But it's not the film is not about piano, of course, it's psychological. It's and neither is skipping. this film about fucking yeah. <laughs> neither is this about boxing or orcas or whatever. It's about, I don't know, um making yourself vulnerable, broken people finding each other, etc. etc. Being being massively um, shitty to your one, son. Being massively shitty to your son. Let's let's start it off. Let's start it off. The beginning of this film reminded me of the video for the Smashing Pumpkin song, Try, 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 um, which features a homeless couple uh, that uh, then the lady is pregnant and they get heroin and she has a miscarriage while high on heroin. It is extremely grim. All right, so we're introduced to Ali, who at the start of the film appears to be living rough with his son somewhere in the south of France. Uh, you kind of can get that it's the south of France by its hotness and its grimness. Um, I believe it's set somewhere outside of uh, the city of Cannes. Anyway, so Ali's it's a relatively young Antibes. man, you can imagine. Antibes. Where's that? Yeah, it's not far from it. It's on that coast. Any road. So we, we meet uh, Ali, who has, his son, who has his son with him, his son Sam, living with him. And they appear to be homeless for some reason or another, but they're en route to Ali's sister, Anna. Uh, they get picked up by her partner in his truck. Uh, her partner, I, I don't believe we get a name for him ever, but he's just one of those characters in a in a film where you're you immediately warm to him you're like oh he's a nice guy this guy's got it figured out you know what i mean he's gonna be good to ali's sister anna and he's gonna be good to the kid sam and ali himself better not put a foot out of line while he's staying with them so that's their introduction anyway alan ali goes to live with his sister anna who works in a supermarket part-time and basically gets takes food from there that is just recently past his sell-by date she has a system in her fridge even 
and Sam comes to live with them. Um, we learn a, a, just from a little bit of dialogue here and there that Sam's mother had been using him to traffic drugs and Ali kind of did a rescue operation on the situation, so to speak, almost. Uh, so far, so good. That is all true so far. You should, we should maybe mention that right. Ali, 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 sexy samosa. He's played by uh, Matisse Schoenartz. Matisse Schoenartz. I had never seen mm-hmm. him in anything. Sorry, Matthias. His name's Matthias Schoenartz. I had not really. I wasn't familiar with him at all, and now I keep seeing his name everywhere since watching this film. Hmm. I yeah, I was not really feeling a name for what. When you don't notice something, and then when you notice it, you just keep noticing it. It's called the Matthias Schoenartz no, effect. I don't think it. I, th- I don't think you you need a word for. It. I think you described it perfectly. I don't think we need to name a syndrome after it. Also, it's just one of those things. Also, mm-hmm. I have to say, until watching this film, I thought that Marion Cotillard and Audrey Tautou were were the same person. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really? realize. Yes, genuinely. Are you joking? I think I did think they were the same person. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was looking at uh, Audrey Tattoos or Tattoo, however you say her name. I was looking at her uh, the, f- the film she's been in, and I was like, well, she's hardly been in anything. Mm. <laughs> she's has hardly done any English yeah, films. Certainly not. And I was in, like, in she was in the Dark Knight Rises. Rises. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh yeah, Marion Cotillard. That's right. I suppose. I mean, they are almost the same person. Their Venn diagrams overlap massively. Yeah, they're both like of Berber origin or something. Um, Any road. Ali gets a job as a bouncer. In the interview, he says that he doesn't take take drugs or drink. And I'm looking at him going, really? (laughs) Okay. Anyway, uh, but he does mention that he was a fighter formally and that his coach died. He had been uh, practicing fighter in Belgium. Uh, he gets the job anyway. And on an evening in the club, he breaks up a fight between, I don't know, uh, Marion Cudillard and a bunch of guys, really. Yeah. Uh, she wasn't doing too well. She got punched her in name. the face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which apparently you can you can do if you're a guy in France. Anyway, uh, she's a bit injured and uh, Ali offers to uh, drive her home. It's interesting because just before this, one of his colleagues has suggested to him that if you help out ladies in trouble in the club, you can later have sex with them, Mm -hmm. which does appear to be what Ali is trying to do here, no? Because he's driving her home and he's there uh, checking her out as they're going, uh, most pointedly checking out her nice shapely legs. Mm-hmm. And uh, then he he says Enjoy to them her before they're that gone. it's no wonder... <laughs> he says to her it's no wonder she was getting into trouble in clubs because she's dressed like a whore. Whore. He drops her home. She appears to be in some kind of a, a, a bit of a toxic controlling relationship with a dude called Simon who lives there uh, with her. Simon. And then Ali spots on her wall that she is a trainer of orcas, which, yeah, yeah. They, they, like, I mean, they, it's, you know, he's immediately intrigued by this. Anyway, he drinks his glass of water and leaves. Next thing we see is he le- oh yeah and he leaves her his number as well next thing we see is stephanie at her day job sort of in a performance with orca whales and all of a sudden there is a chaotic looking sort of an accident 
Uh, also, a key note in this scene, the, the song playing is Firework by Katy Perry for the performance, which will come back later in the film. But in a chaotic accident that is quite difficult to kind of fully understand what happened. But basically, uh, an orca just smashes through uh, where the people are, where the trainers are and so forth. And the last thing we see is kind of a silhouette from under the water of Stephanie and all of a sudden she wakes up like Uma Thurman in Kill Bill Volume 1 except minus her legs. Why Why do you think she loses her legs? I mean, there appears to be bleeding going on when she's in the water, but it's not immediately clear to me. I mean, I can imagine they might have been crushed and mm. then also how like how cold the water would be would immediately maybe set off gangrene. But we don't happen. we don't think sure. that but you don't forcing... we don't think that orcas ate them. No, 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 no. But you are forcing me into a, the position of being a physician for the characters in a film again. Mm-hmm. That's your there, job. Uh, which I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Look, imagine, imagine examining a lady who had had her legs bitten off by an orca. It appears the orca has bitten off. Yeah, yeah, I know, Doc. I got it. Yeah, was this before or after the film Blackfish came out? Because I, I mean, think anybody who's just seen before. that, this is automatic. Yeah, this would be, and I perhaps. If there was some malevolence on behalf of the orca, it was inspired by that incident that's detailed in that film. Because actually, after you've seen uh, the film Blackfish, just uh, any organizations like the one in the film that has orcas for performance, you immediately just see them as, I don't know, practically they're Mr. Burns from the Simpsons level of evil. But anyway, we're kind of on the orca side here. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So next, yeah, she wakes up, um, and now we get to talk about this. I got all credit to the fantastic special effects in this film, right? Yeah, from what I understand, she wore green socks for the majority of the time, and then they were edited out. They edited her legs out in post. But I mean, just a a great a great job of it, no? Like, sure, really, really, just. Yeah, She's yeah. got I sausages. Found, well, for did, legs. did you not find it to be? It made me hungry. <laughs> well, like as well. I mean, in the parts where she's interacting with Ali, like physically, and not just the shagging that's to come. Like when he's carrying her around and stuff like that. I mean, it does look like she's, I don't know, significantly lighter. I, th- I think it. it yeah, I think it, it. It looked much better than I ever predicted it would. Because I knew coming into this that some way into the film Marion Cotillard loses her legs and I thought it looked really good yeah no I think it was an impressive special effects so Ali then starts basically backyard boxing uh, through a contact that he meets in the in the club I believe he's also he's also getting a little bit of shagging done in his local gymnasium things are looking up for old Ali and then he it turns out that he's He's pretty good at, you know, punching the stink out of people in the backyard so he can, you know, he's got an extra way to make a little bit of money. Anyway, Stephanie, who's now in a wheelchair, is just depressed as all holy hell and she gives him a buzz. And he comes and meets her and takes her to the beach. He goes in for a swim. She she resists the idea, but eventually goes out for a swim herself and he helps her out to it. And uh, there's a real, really nice moment there where um, just she feels a real release being able to swim mm-hmm. again. And uh, she yeah, gets the I lads thought out. that was a nice, very genuine. She does get the lads out. That's legless lads, legless lads in this film. That's a first. That's a first um, for the podcast. Which is, 
Indeed, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, it might be, I mean, I don't know, am I telling any st- uh, tales out of school here, but um, nice lands. Yeah, well done, Audrey Tatu, or whoever you are. All right, all right, all right. Uh, Marion Coudillard. That's name. right. Wait, I just want to, uh, can, I, over, can I just say yeah. that uh, mm. Ali, to me, is such an unlikable character, personally. I think oh, he, yeah. he's so stupid, apart from anything. He's like a fucking Neanderthal. Like, it's not that he does, you know, I, I, I like his martial arts and fighting, etc. But he just, he doesn't, mm-hmm. he never thinks about the long-term consequences of any of his actions. He's just, he's like this kind of caveman no. reacting to things. Yeah, and the, well, like, the thing is as well, the, the one part that could slightly let him away from it is that it's dimness, not maliciousness, that guides right. him into these situations. Like, there's two in particular um, <laughs> coming up probably three actually that are just like, I mean, inexcusable, but for his stupidity. That's yeah. He's thick as fuck. Um, but the, so the it's thing, around, what's wait, just, I want to say what's interesting about it is like Matthias Schoenartz is a very good actor because after watching this, I mm. just thought like, Oh, this guy must be f- like, this guy must be absolutely stupid. And then I listened to him. He's, he's fluent in like about five different languages, fluent in English, he has played, you know, a massively wide range of characters. He seems like a great actor and uh, a smart guy. So he did an excellent job of playing this unlikable caveman. Mm. And did he see, was he an interesting interview? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he, se- he seems like an, a, a genuinely interesting guy. Yeah, okay, cool, cool. I might check that out. Cause <laughs> I'll stick in the show for, notes. Not for nothing, but... Not for nothing, but any time I have uh, listened to Marion Cotillard being interviewed, I thought to myself, what an absolute dildo. Mm, I like she just seems like a bit of a plonker. Well, I, I like her in lots of things, but just as a person. Uh, Amelie, wait a minute. Yeah, that I'm was over. Yeah, I'm going conv- to convince everyone that they are one person. Your stone facedness has, mm. has worked on me again. Um, it's around this time yeah. we see basically... Um, Ali's getting more and more into the fighting and he's watching some UFC on the YouTube. And uh, in the meantime, his sister, uh, and it, 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 I just want to mention as well, uh, briefly as well, like his sister, that they live in like some run down conditions. Like it's, it's, you know, it looks like they made the house themselves from bits of other broken houses. Um, <laughs> Every anyway, time she- you say this about places, the same when we were watching the square, I'm looking at it going like, that looks quite yeah. nice. <laughs> I wouldn't mind living there. <laughs> You're like, it's the worst I mean, apartment in the world. <laughs> well, I mean, I, okay, the relationship between Anna and her partner kind of fills it with warmth. I, did, oh. or I must ask you so actually about Anna's partner. Like, did you like him as much as me? Yeah, he seemed normal. He just—he's just like a truck driver who's with this lady, and now he's got to fucking deal with her idiot brother and her son, and 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 his son. Sorry. And he does it well. He does it like a stand-up guy. And yeah, like when he comes nice back guy. at the end of the film, I kind of—I felt like uh, Alan Partridge when he sees Dan in the car park because I'm just like, <laughs> "Hey, remember you at the start of yeah, yeah," but he didn't remember me at all. It was oh. heartbreaking. Anyway, yeah, Ali's sister is uh, having some dogs taken away, dogs that uh, Sam has clearly grown fond of. But And she asks Ali to make sure Sam keeps inside for this. He does not keep inside for this. Uh, she goes mad at him, and he ends up kind of throwing Sam down a little bit. And he gets an awful whack on the head, actually. That's what happens in this part, right? 
yeah, you get that, like, in, in other films, this would be the scene where this child dies or goes into a coma. But he's mm. fine. Resilient yeah. child. Yeah, no, he is. But, I mean, he, he, just, he did get an awful bang on the head. Anyway. Um, but this is, so the, this, this is the scene for me that is the biggest mm. difference with Deepan is that I don't feel like they deal with that scene afterwards. I mean, Ali goes away and buys him a toy, but it just feels like it feels such a hollow attempt to make up for like hitting your child <laughs> and it, it it does it doesn't redeem ali as a character for me i'm just like fuck this idiot no but stephanie redeems ali as a character that's kind of her job in this right so but then i'm i'm he, like, all the time i'm <clears throat> thinking i'm always thinking like what does stephanie see in him apart from like he's looks like he's good in bed yes to be fair um yeah he's a bit of he's a brute like and I suppose, like, I mean, what draw, what draws them together, I don't know, in a writer's imagination would be the physical nature of their work and their, their job and how they rely on their bodies, but uh, how they, you know, fail elsewhere emotionally, spiritually. Anyway, Ali and Stephanie, they start spending a lot more time together and um, she gets uh, she gets new legs, um, like uh, Gary Sinise in Forrest Gump. And, um, the, you know, it appears to be kind of going well between them. And then she even she comes with him to some of his fights, although she's not allowed to leave the truck because <laughs> uh, it's man fight day. And she uh, finds out he has a son just in passing, but he doesn't meet her for a while yet. Then just in a moment, Ali offers to have sex with her to help her adjust. And uh, then they start uh, having regular, in your own language, shagging sessions. But well, yeah, because she can just Stephanie, message him uh, and ask him if he's if he's if he's operational. Yeah, exactly. If he's okay. Then, uh, but there's no no smooching, no smooching no, allowed. Not allowed. She's not a who because that would betray uh, intimacy. Then one day after a big, uh, a nice big victory for um, Ali, they all go partying in a club, and Ali ends up um, taking home some. Let's be fair. She was cast as a bimbo and cast effectively. She is exactly the sort of girl who annoys your girlfriend. Mm. Um, and Ali gets the, gets the smooch and goes away. Stephanie is clearly a bit uh, dejected by this. Um, as uh, and your man, dodgy fella, do, uh, who organizes the fights. Martial. You know, it's awkward for that for him too. He's like, oh, what's his name? Martial. Martial. Um, you know, everybody's a bit put off by this. Anyway, then Stephanie is at the bar. A man kind of comes on to her and then she show, if kind of tells her, basically tells him to go jump. And then as she's walking away from the bar, he sees that she has no legs and he apologizes. And she goes mad and starts attacking him. Has to be escorted out. Then the next day, she basically let, um, uh, lays down some ground rules that they should uh, respect each other, that she did not feel good about uh, him uh, leaving her hanging like that. And uh, yeah, they lay down these ground rules and it seems set that uh, they're going to be in a proper relationship at some point soon. Now, around this time as well, Ali has started doing a little bit of side work, which involves inserting secret cameras into franchise businesses in order to, I suppose, get the dirt on the staff so that they can fire the staff and not have to spend, uh, not have to give them raises in, in regarding long-term contracts. I think that's basically the gist of the work he takes on, isn't it? They're trying to lay people off. 
they want to they want to they they because i imagine that french labor laws are much stricter than most other countries that i've lived in anyway and i think it's quite hard for them to get rid of people so they're just they're fishing to see if they can find any evidence of people lifting uh expired produce which is what Hallie's sister happens to be doing. Yes, indeed. So, like we've all, we've seen through one scene in particular when uh, Ali is returning to the scene of one of his surveillances to collect the cameras, and the staff members are filming him to, you know, I mean, to try and expose the shitty work that they're doing. Anyway, on account of one of these surveillances, uh, Anna, Anna, yeah, Ali's sister gets fired, and she rightly blames Ali for this. And then it kind of just explodes. She tells him to leave her house and um, he is not really happy with this. But then my favorite character, Anna's partner, arrives with a toting a shotgun and just yeah. to, to get the damn F out of there, um, which he does. We see a, a clip of him leaving in the middle of the night. He appears to abandon his son with Anna and just buggers off. Uh, he does. To, uh, and there's no appears about it. <laughs> Just fucking leaves his son yeah. with it with Legs his sister. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not, it's not uh, con- conduct becoming of a gentleman. He's off anyway, training combat sports, and he is just uh, somewhere just up near Strasbourg. Um, yeah, and he completely just uh, ditched Stephanie, which and Anna tells her basically not to be uh, not to be surprised by this. That this is you know the type of person he is. Anyway, so we flash forward a little bit, and this is where for my opinion the potentially annoying uh, poeticism of the the story comes into play because i even wrote a note leading up to this i was like which is just stupid to read now but it's like what is ali's legs (laughs) so you know stephanie has lost her legs and she's kind of grown as a person by way of this so you're kind of wondering but at this point We've seen in Ali that though he shows potential, he still has not really grown as a person. He he's he not like a, he's gets not away consequence-free. All he has to deal with is the bad situation with his son, which is just coming up. But he overcomes mm-hmm. that. But it's like he he hurts his hands a little bit, and it doesn't appear. It doesn't affect mm-hmm. his fighting. Yeah, I don't I don't like the end of this film. I don't like yeah, I don't like mm. this from this scene onwards, I think is is a mistake because as you say, yeah, like Ali is not redeemed at all in my eyes. He's just lumping more shit on his son. <laughs> That's all it is. Yeah. Being a fucking so it's like, mobhead. Okay. Right. So to talk into it then, Anna's partner drops off Sam one day. He's gonna spend the day with Annie uh, with Ali at the combat training facility. And um, it is like there, it is in the middle of winter, everything's all white and lovely. And then Ali and Sam are playing out on a frozen lake. Um, and then all, then I believe Ali's on Ali's the phone on or something. Phone. Yeah, he's on his phone fucking dicking around. Yeah. And uh, we see in the background, Sam falls through the ice. Now, I got to ask, did you think that was it? He was going to die? I did. Kind of hoped so. Because I feel like that would nothing. Mm. I mean, I feel so bad for that for Sam for the kid because the entire film mm. is him just being shit on and treated very poorly mm. by his father and his mother appears to be in prison or left him behind, and you kind of feel like the 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 only logical end for this character is that he dies and Ali is punished. But I mean, it's it's either yeah. way, it's it's not great. Yeah, because afterwards, like to be fair, if if Ali gets 
in any way successful with his boxing career, then this means that just Sam is telling this to a psychiatrist years later. It's like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, there's there's no, his, his dad never hit a bottom at any point. Although, I mean, okay, that's this is what the film is arguing for, is that once Sam falls through, then I suppose Ali's life flashes before his eyes and he sees something important in his son so he rushes over see finds sam under the ice and basically punches through the ice to rescue him and breaks all the bones in his hands in the process and then he he pulls him out takes him to hospital and sam basically kind of gets like nursed back to health eventually he he is going to live and stephanie calls him wants to hear how sam is doing and but ali tells her that uh, he needs her and he loves her. Then a voiceover tells us that his his broken bones will will heal but he'll he'll always have pain in his hand. And then the final shot of the film is we Rusty see him boners. winning some big boxing match with uh, Ali and Stephanie there. Yeah, and they're um, in uh, Warsaw. They're they're with him with him to support uh, to support him. Um ever been to Warsaw? Yes. It is a shithole. Yeah, not a fan. Um, sorry, Paul. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Not great. Not great. Gdansk, very nice. Yeah, I, I quite Gdansk. like Gdansk. I went to like that World Krakow. War II museum. Anyway, so uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you in that the emotional payoff that they're kind of looking for here with the relationship with Sam, yeah, it, it's never really built back up. There's We have no reason. Like, yeah, as you're saying, when Sam falls under the ice, realistically, you're going to Ali. Well, yeah, good. This is what this is what happens when you're shit, mm-hmm. you know? And that would have been a miserable ending that I wouldn't have been able to argue with, to be honest. Yeah. But I get the, f- I get the feeling. I mean, Audiard is not a cynical director. Watch a few more of his films and you'll see that he is, he is not that way inclined. He wants, mm. I, I don't think any of his films have, that I've seen have, have a sad, cynical or miserable endings. So are his other films similar kind of character journeys? Yes. Yeah. Every, every one that I've seen, including mm-hmm. the sisters brothers. Yeah. All very much buildings, romance of one, one form mm-hmm. or another. Yeah. I, I'm, um, I'm totally I still, on board for still, that. That's great. I still really like this. I did really, yeah, really yeah, like I, it. I, I, I like for, you. I all the negative, to... all the negative things I'm saying about Ali's character. It's still, I still enjoyed the film. The music was great. Shout out to the Trent Muller remix of State Trooper, which I'll put at the end of the the end of the. Episode. Oh yeah, that was great. Yeah, like that. That, that I've was been great. listening to that. Like that makes me want to train. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very good. I agree. That went yeah. straight on my running playlist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, solid um, film. Cool. Well, indeed, very good. Nice, um, nice double bill. But I'm surprised because Rust and Bone was the one I was. wanted to watch more, but you chose Deep End, and that that is a film that. I really enjoy. It. I feel like it, it. It just made me interested in Sri Lanka as a country, and it just it kind of like mm. it opened up something I hadn't really thought about much before. Um, you know, like the history of the yeah, Tamil Tigers I mean, and the Civil War. Yeah, that element that that he like from that very specific conflict gives his character like a a, a gravitas that like isn't quite there in Rust and Bone. Like the two actors really interpret the roles really well. And they they do like come across convincingly, but ultimately they're poetic devices. Whereas the like Deepan, just maybe only given his um, cultural background, is just it, it just feels feel he feels like a much realer character. All right, All right. good double bill. 
Indeed, it was. Yeah, yeah. And so, as well, uh, I got, <laughs> I got to finally. Uh, okay, so I, whenever I Berlin, my girlfriend is able to pull the rug under my film choices far too often by saying that she uh, does, she she can't watch things if they're in another language and then read the English subtitles. But it turns out that when it's kind of the wishy washy sort of character dramas that she likes, then she's well able to watch some French movies. So, yeah, because these are because she watched yeah, both of them with me this week. So I'm I'm going to lord it over her, and we're going to watch some uh, Japanese horror films real soon. So for next week. Uh, I decided to go for a film that I've been meaning to watch for almost 17 years now, and that is Jonathan Glazer's Birth, starring Nicole Kidman. Uh, Sexy Beast is one of my all-time favorite films, and I, I only got around to watching Under the Skin last year and absolutely loved it. Oh, so brilliant. So I'm finally ready to watch Birth, which I remember being quite controversial upon its release. I did the reverse uh, for it on... Um... Jonathan Glazer. I ended up. I was. I had to review Under the Skin for a magazine, mm-hmm. and I hadn't seen any of his other films. And I just thought, like, just like I, I didn't. I didn't know anything about it either going in, and to not know anything about Under the Skin going in. Yeah. Can you imagine being yeah. whacked over the head with that? Like yeah. it's just it, it blew me away. I very soon afterwards watched Sexy Beast and just thought it as well. I mean, it's I just Sexy a completely Beast. unique film. It is a British gangster yeah. fi- film, but it's completely it's so unique. More. So yeah. I'm sh- I'm sure that whatever I might think of birth, it's going to be interesting if yeah. you win. Yeah, if we'll see. you win. But if you do not win, what we'll be watching is the 1976 John Cassavetes crime film, The Killing of a Chinese Bookie, a film I know nothing about except that it's one of John Cassavetes' most famous ones. So I'm going to go in blind enough to this. Apart like apart from the fact that it is, it is a Cassavetes picture, I know nothing. All of his films are around two and a half hours long, I uh, noted. Ah, sorry about that. So may may God have this mercy is, on your soul, depending on what happens on this toss. All right. Is it your toss? It is indeed. I have a coin here. Would you prefer 20 or heraldic lion thing? Oh, lion all the way. Here we go. It's 20. Yes. It's broken. Yes. <laughs> Fuck you, Chinese yes. bookie. So we're watching that birth. Is, oh, so let me tell good. you. Yeah, it's, it's, it feels good. feels good, man. So let me tell you what you would have won. You would have won. I looked through all the films directed by John Cassavetes and tried to choose one of the shorter ones, uh, which was <laughs> which was uh, 1980s Gloria starring Gina Rowlands that was remade by Sidney Lumet in the 90s disastrously. So it would have been Gloria. That's what you could have won. All right. Well, what you did win to accompany birth is 2018's crime drama uh, directed by karen kusama um destroyer also Ooh. starring nicole kidman oh nice which i had i had been meaning to watch for ages uh, it's one it's it would be nicole kidman's version of uh, what um charlize theron did in monster which is just going looking the opposite rough. way of her famous good looks yeah exactly looking a bit rough <laughs> mm. all right so uh, next week I'm going to dig into my old black and white bag and I'm going to oh, bring God. out bring uh, something <laughs> something with a mono soundtrack that's what yes. I'm looking for all right Brilliant. okay until then uh, aloha sayonara bitches bye